This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Office of Personnel Management is a small step closer toward permanent leadership. Kiran Ahuja is the president's pick to lead OPM. The Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee considered her nomination yesterday. Committee members say OPM needs to rebuild confidence and develop an innovative plan for the federal workforce. Ahuja acknowledges she's got a tough job ahead of her, if confirmed. We get more now from Federal News Network's Nicola Grisco. Kieran Ahuja says senators can count on her to provide stable leadership at the Office of Personnel Management after years of turnover at the top. I commit to being there as long as I have the support of all of you and, and, and President Biden, because I do think it's going to be needed. A few members of the Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee mentioned the leadership turnover problem at OPM, and it's something that Ahuja is personally familiar with. She was OPM chief of staff, while Beth Colbert served for a year and a half as OPM's acting director during the Obama administration. There were two permanent OPM directors during the last administration, but their tenures were brief, and two more acting directors ultimately served longer than the people they replaced. Ahuja says leadership turnover problems prevent OPM from making real progress on IT modernization initiatives and improvements to the federal retirement process. She says she'd create an IT modernization plan and would look into short-term improvements like updating OPM's call center technology or considering a fast-track option for some retirement applications. Here's Ahuja with Senator James Langford. Unfortunately, every director of OPM has said almost exactly that. (laughs) the last several years. How do we actually move from talking about that to doing it? What do you think is going to be a key aspect? Well, I think it helps that we have the IT modernization fund, to be quite quite honest. That hasn't existed in the past, and I think resources are needed. In the case of OPM, I think the challenges have been not having stable leadership at the top. The leadership turnover problem was one of several challenges the National Academy of Public Administration had highlighted in a recent report on OPM. It made 23 recommendations for Congress and the Biden administration, and the Academy says the goal should be to improve and refocus OPM as the federal government's human capital leader. Senators didn't bring up the report, though, and they spent most of their time questioning the president's three nominees for the Postal Board of Governors. Gary Peters is the chairman of the Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee. He did hint at some of the challenges facing OPM. This is an incredibly important position, and I believe your extensive public service experience, including as chief of staff at OPM, have prepared you well to lead this agency at what is undoubtedly a pivotal time for employees at OPM and throughout the federal government. You and I have discussed, uh, as we've discussed in the past, our nation's civil service requires an experienced independent leader who can rebuild confidence uh, in OPM and provide a hopeful, innovative vision for the future of the federal workforce. Ahuja started her career as a trial attorney at the Justice Department through its honors program. She returned to government as an executive director of the White House Initiative for Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders during the Obama administration. She is the current CEO of Philanthropy Northwest, and if confirmed, she'd be the first South Asian and first Asian American woman to lead OPM. I believe people are and should be at the center of all policy decisions. And if I were fortunate to be confirmed, I would carry forward this guiding principle while working in service to the American public. If confirmed, I pledge to protect our merit system principles, a bedrock of our civil service. It would be my mission to serve and support federal employees 
and to restore, rebuild, and retool the federal workforce. OPM will need to innovate to meet the modern needs of agencies with respect to recruitment, hiring, retention, uh, engagement, and performance management. And of course, OPM also needs to honor federal retirees by providing them the high level of service they deserve. When it comes to recruitment and retention, Ahuja says she'll focus on professional development and training for the federal workforce. I think one thing that we've learned from this pandemic is that our workforce is incredibly important and that we should really be focused on the kinds of opportunities that they're being provided and the value and contributions of their service. I would say there's real opportunities with some of what I call the feeder programs, which are expanding the Presidential Management Fellows Program, where we can uh, work out some of the the kinks with the Pathways Program, focused on bringing in individuals early in their career. I've always said the federal government should be able to be quite competitive because it has an amazing mission. And that's a huge draw, I think, for people early in their careers. And we really should take advantage of that. She also says she'd like to strike a balance between safety and bringing employees back into the office whose services are necessary to interact with the public. There's new opportunities with telework, too. And OPM is working on new guidance that should help agencies revise and change their telework and remote work policies for after the pandemic. If confirmed as OPM director, that would be something that I would definitely be leaning into. I think we are completely rethinking work at this moment, not just the federal government, but for um, all across the country. I think not only does it give opportunities to individuals who are not necessarily based in an urban center, but a way to actually provide service and give our thanks, especially to military spouses um, in places where there are they are located in remote locations. I also think there are opportunities on how we think about locality pay, where there are savings in, in that sense, as well as really the size and, and, and you know, uh, expansive, you know, expansion of, of a office footprint. There will be definitely some of that retraction related to some of the savings there. Diversity and inclusion is another priority, as it has been throughout much of the Biden administration. The diversity in this country, it is a huge asset. It gives us a competitive advantage. And I think individuals want to see not only diversity all throughout the workforce, but in the senior ranks, that they see individuals that come from their communities, that there's a, a breadth of experience and, and people bringing those experiences from, from all walks of life. So I do agree with you. I think it's an important priority for us to have collectively, and it's something that I will focus on if confirmed. The Senate calendar shows the Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee voting next week on Hoosier's nomination. Nicola Grisco, Federal News Network. We now bring you a special presentation from our friends at WEPA. Shane, thanks for joining us. Can you tell us about WEPA and your new podcast? Mike, great to see you again. The podcast series, Lessons in Leadership, what we're trying to do is, is take a deeper dive, a different angle into the conversation around leadership with great leaders at all levels of government. Uh, since the 1900s, leadership has been studied in a serious and academic way. Uh, great man theory, the leader-follower theory, the inspirational leader, transformational leader, all of these are backward-looking um, development of styles, looking at an individual, figuring out how they did leadership, and then translating it into a form that we can use today to learn, to perhaps emulate, copy. But great leaders, they 
have more than one style. I think, I truly think that a great leader can adapt and transform into the role that's needed at that time. So what we're trying to do is, is talk to great leaders and go a level deeper. Tell us about your, a story in your past. Tell us an inspiration that really affected your ability to lead others. And this certainly applies in the uh, federal space. The federal government, it's over two million employees. Great leaders are throughout the federal government, both at the top and the middle ranks. And what we want to do is ask them to pull inside their memory, pull inside their personal history, find those moments in time when they were changed, they were inspired, they learned something about leadership from another person, perhaps it was uh, from themselves, and they brought that to the workplace, and they inspired other and became great leaders. So that's what we're trying to do with the podcast. Okay, so I, I get that you wanted to start with leadership, but what makes leadership such an important topic right now for federal workers? Great question. Leadership today is tested like never before. Um, today's, if I had to put a leadership style, if I had to put names to it, we hear about um, empathetic, we hear transparent, we hear uh, inspirational. So today we have COVID, we have a down economy, we have people, we have social uh, injustice that we're dealing with. There are many new factors. And it's drawing like never before on a leader's ability to pull from within themselves and adapt to the current change. So leadership today is almost brand new again. We're taking all kinds of different styles, attributes, learnings that leaders have. They're looking at the current situation that we're in and understanding how do I move groups of people? How do I move my employees? How do I inspire? How do I get them to the next best place? So I think leadership today, this conversation uh, is extremely relevant, perhaps more relevant than it's been in several decades. You know, we talk about an employee's personal route to growth, but what role does the management side have in this? I think in the federal government, it's, it's a little bit different than it is in the private sector. Uh, my father was a civilian federal employee. Uh, he joined the federal government in the 1960s. Uh, John Kennedy, he was inspired by ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. He had opportunities to go in the private sector. That notion of service inspired him. It inspired an entire generation. I would like to think that call to service which is unique in, in the federal space, in the government space, still exists today. Well, that about says it all, but is anything else you'd want the audience to know about you personally or WEPA as an, as an organization? Uh, I have been uh, around the group affinity insurance world for um, three decades. I've uh, led, this is my second uh, major organization that I've led. And I will tell you that we impart this feeling, uh, you mentioned it, Mike, about service, this notion. We serve those who serve. And uh, I will tell you that it's refreshing. 
It's a blessing to be there. And <clears throat> I have so much respect for civilian federal employees at every level of government. In this podcast, we're hoping to talk to leaders which are similarly inspired and can share their learnings over a lifetime. And uh, this will be useful information uh, for anybody in government service. Want more ways to show your good side to the world? Donate plasma at a Griffel Center and join thousands of donors who are helping to save lives. Receive up to $1,000 your first month. Learn more at grifflesplasma.com. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.